You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Niklas Lilja, the founder and CEO at Union. We did this you know with eyes open that you know we think we have great product market fit we think we can do this we don't know everything let's find out and and you know learn hi there and welcome back to the sassiest podcast and always happy that you want to spend some time with us and today we are really happy to spend some time with a a friend of ours uh, a company that we um, have had a lot of interaction with during the years and now they have made the jump to the US and we get the pleasure of lifting a little bit on the rug (laughs) what do you say Uh, and see see their experience so far but Daniel before that Anything you want to add? Uh, lots of things, but I'm going to keep it really short. So you guys know uh, Sassiest 2024 is coming up. It's going to be a fantastic uh, turn up again. So many great speakers, uh, Nordic talents, international talents. We're going to dig into many topics about, you know, again, it comes down to you still have to grow your business, but you have to grow it in a, you know efficient way. So lots of stuff about efficient growth across revenue, product, people, organization, many different things. But also, like always, if you want to be better at your job, one way to become a little bit better is to spar with your peers. So if nothing else, we've built an entire program that gives you a lot of possibility to network and connect with like-minded people that can help you. So again, if you haven't already, secure your ticket, go to sassiest2024.com and we'll hope to see you there for the ultimate B2B SaaS experience. Yeah, exactly. So the ultimate B2B experience, we promise to take good care of you. You will have good food and drinks. There are social activities so you can get to know people before and during and after the event. And something for everyone, something for the ones that want to dance like crazy, something for those who go up early in the morning to take a run or some yoga, or someone that wants to be a little bit decadent after the event and play some poker, looking at some cards and just relax. So um, see you soon and see you at Sassiest. All right. With that being said, let's jump right into the episode. Today, we are super excited to have Niklas Lilja, the founder and CEO of Unium here as a guest in the Sassiest podcast. So warm welcome to you, Niklas. Thank you, Thomas. Pleasure to be here. I mean, it's really good to have you here. I felt the last time we bumped into each other, like it was like, you know, in the movies, you see each other from a distance and then you start running towards each other. And we met in a huge hug at Saster. Collision. Collision. (laughs) (laughs) So like you get a virtual hug from me. It's like, it's good seeing you again. Great. Great seeing you as well. How how are you? Like, and I I know you're dialing in from, from the US today. Like where in the US are you based now? So I'm in the suburbs of Philadelphia, so East Coast, uh, sort of in between New York and Washington. All right, uh, cool. You might say. So six hours 
after you guys or yeah. before you guys after you guys yeah. and you guys at Unium you will always be in the Sassiest Hall of Fame you were actually our first sponsor when we did our digital event during the hobby years in 2021 so I know your CMO uh, Emily reached out to us uh, <laughs> did you say something to you before or what's the story about that yeah uh, I don't know if she said something before but at least around that time and I think she was uh, you know thought you had really good timing in the sense that you were doing something for the whole Nordic community and you weren't sort of bound by geography mm. yeah we're quite proud of that. You've come a long way since then. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah, and you were one of the ones that show you that you actually could make money on this. So uh, thank you for showing yeah. the way. <laughs> but Niklas, great, and we're going to dive deeper into your adventures in the US. But but first, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself for the one that doesn't know you? Yeah, who's Niklas? Sure. Uh, so uh, my background, uh, at least work-wise, is with a company called Medius. Uh, that I joined back in 2004, and they were automating supplier invoices uh, for typically retail and production companies. Okay. So that was quite a journey. I think it was sort of a startup before uh, it was named Startups. Um, so I did a bit of everything uh, around there. Um, I, I was never like CEO. I didn't do direct sales, and I didn't do finance. All right. Uh, but I tried out quite a lot of other things. Um, so that's um, sort of the predecessor for Unium. Uh, and then I got to do the remaining roles uh, yeah, exactly. in the beginning, right? <laughs> so all you do now is sales, finance, and CEOs. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so was it during your time at Medius that, that sort of you find this problem that you wanted to s uh, solve or? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, very much so. So I spent quite a lot of time like around contracting, uh, pricing, product marketing and things like that. And, and at the same time, uh, Medius did uh, a transformation from uh, um, a non-cloud platform into a cloud platform and also going from... Um, uh, you know, uh, one of pricing license and maintenance and turning that into subscriptions. Yeah. Um, so, so I sort of saw that whole transformation and, and not only sort of where it ended up, but also where we came from right. and the differences. And I, I really appreciated the subscription model and how the economy behind it drives certain behaviors with the company, right. such as you e you know you have equal gain from retaining a customer as getting a new one so you would invest in your product equally versus you know what i have seen in the past where you know you got so much more from getting a new customer than retaining yeah that's what we all love right yeah but i don't think we talk about it <laughs> very often <laughs> no. right uh, but, but i really I really appreciate that. And, and so I think it's better behaviors involved in the subscription model. Absolutely, right. absolutely. So besides work, what you can tell us about family or hobbies or so? Uh, all right. So family, I got a wife and two kids, uh, 10, 12, um, won't say the age of anyone else. Uh, and then um, my hobbies, I, I kind of like doing things that I'm not good at or exploring new things. And I think that is something that... 
uh, yeah. Either you're really good at many things. But I'm not super good at sort of <laughs> keeping at things. You know, for a long time, I thought I would be really good at becoming like a specialist or something. Okay. Yeah. And it's taken me a long time to realize that's probably not me. Uh, but I, I really like to explore. So, so the last thing, uh, I got one of these. <laughs> oh, nice. A drone. <laughs> yeah. So see if I can, you know. So where, uh, where do you fly with the drone? Is, is it just to... No, it's only in a simulator right now. Oh. Okay. So I'm really early days, right? So <laughs> just to sort of keep my <laughs> head and fingers and the coordination. Um, so let's see if I take another step. So if it makes you feel any better, I have actually crashed a drone twice. So oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Not very expensive ones, but uh, they did crash yeah, and break. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, are yeah. you flying the drone without the drone? Yeah. So just on a simulator, so you just hook it up to like one of these simulators. So that's where I am right now. I would have said cool if I thought it was cool. <laughs> it's <laughs> not maybe. <laughs> you you got to start somewhere. You got to start That's somewhere. the thing. I'm not sure I have to become good at it, right? That's the whole point, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll sell it in a few weeks and do something else. Uh, but I guess that's my hobby. All right. You know, uh, <laughs> let's see if we can do a, a really nice and cool transition into your business so speaking about drones flying high tell us about union and, and how fly you are hiring but before you go there thomas why are you laughing i thought it was a great transition okay <laughs> you know for the ones again if they haven't bumped into union we want to know like where the heck does the name come from hmm? and we want to know what do you do and for who do you do it yeah all right, so uh, may maybe in somewhat of a reverse order. Uh, but we uh, help B2B SaaS and software companies uh, to, I would say, gain control over their subscription data, their customer subscription data, make sure they can automate it and be efficient and be, you know, regulatory in order when it comes to revenue recognition and things like that. So we become sort of a um, ERP, you might say, or part of it for SaaS businesses so that they can, you know, quote subscription deals and get that managed, get that transferred into like more finance or like a sales top organization, RevOps organization, make sure that they bill it on time, that they keep track of it, they, they do upsells, downsells, so that whole life cycle of the subscriptions. That's what our SaaS manage for our customers. So do you replace existing ERPs or is this sort of a, a coexisting ERPs with other ERPs or? Yeah. Um, so I, I would say like a, quite a typical replacement would be to replace, uh, either one of these or, or a combination, but like spreadsheets. Okay. Uh, customizations in a CRM or customizations in an ERP or something home built, home brewed in your own service. Yeah. So, so somewhat of a combination of these. And we typically sit in between, you know, like a NetSuite or QuickBooks and a HubSpot or a Salesforce and your own service. So it becomes sort of a hub when it comes to that information flow. And you sell this to, I'm guessing now, to predominantly CFOs, I suppose. Yes, that's the typical uh, buyer persona. Okay. Uh, but of course, that's also a bit changing, right? You can have like RevOps uh, functions 
sort of being more towards the operations and the systems and the data models and such. Um, So, so, but yes. So, Niklas, how hard can this be? Isn't it just to set up a monthly, uh, like, billing payment and and then you're ready to go? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's the way it is if you are fine with having your one, two or five customers. And then you're done, right? Yeah. But if you want to grow and if you want to scale and you want to do this, you know, at an increasing pace and you will change your pricing models year after year because you're trying to optimize that. You both have your legacy customers. You have new customers. You want your maybe your sales team to, you know, do things right. You want your product team to, you know, have features in your product that is aligned with your commercial model in a good way and you want your finance team to be compliant then it becomes more complex okay i'm thinking like it's like retail you know what there was a day when we went into shops right yeah and we bought things or we went you know to some sort of brochure and we ordered something yeah. right. and then we had the whole e-commerce and after a while it became like omni-channel right you should yeah. You should be able to do it wherever you want as a customer. And I think it's the same thing around software, right? Maybe the first sale is through a partner. The second is the customer success team doing an upsell. And then it becomes like an account manager because they were all of a sudden bought by another company. And then it's the finance team who want to do a 3% uplift at renewal. And all of a sudden, no one knows anything (laughs) about what's really important. So it's a lot more complexity if you compare it to a subscription or for a race of dates or, or something like that. See? And and that's when to solve all of this complexity, that's when you need a tool like Union. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, we, we focus very much on only B2B and not any B2C. We focus on what we typically call like more advanced B2B and not b to small B because you would have almost like a consumer model, but B2B, right? And right. I think there are other tools that are, Super great at that, where it's like highly standardized. It doesn't change that much. It's, you know, uh, very online, highly uh, high velocity and, you know, not a lot of changes. But many of our customers, they may have that kind of channel, but they also have like an enterprise channel and they negotiate terms and they, you know, find ways and they find solutions. They do multi-year deals. Yeah. And and that is, of course, like when you get into the details, quite a big difference. Yeah. All right. So, uh, again, to try to put a perspective on, on things here and your business, we'd like to understand the numbers that fuel your organization. So why don't we start at the top? What is your ARR level right now? And how fast are you guys growing year over year? Yeah, so our uh, contract ARR is somewhere between or in the middle of five and six million uh, US dollars. Okay. Uh, And if we speak in a year's time here now, what will that be? uh, Above eight. Above eight. Good growth. Yeah. Good growth. Are you profitable? Uh, Not yet. Not yet. Close enough. Soon. Soon. I like that. Uh, Yeah, I I think we are... um, Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, but but I think like this year for us, it's like, okay, keep our momentum and keep our growth pace because that's been really good uh, over the last years. Yeah. Of course, a bit higher in 21, a bit lower in 22, you know, like, but but still, you know, good uh, overall. Keep that, but also become cash flow positive this year. All right. And tell us a little bit about the customer base. How, How many customers do you guys have today? And in what geos predominantly are they located? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So we have close to 200 customers. Um, the like the majority of them are still in the Nordics because that's where we started out, and <laughs> you need time to overcome your past, right? Um, but then we we have customers in uh, 15 countries right now. So we have you know uh, the Nordics, Western Europe, North America, uh, India, um, yeah. So, so in quite a lot of countries uh, or geographies. Okay. How many full-time employees do you have to support all these customers and the operation and the growth you have? Yeah. So we're currently at 55. Um, An efficient organization. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Good. And then, of course, you probably heard, uh, we always want to know how you've been fueling the, the growth so far and operations. Have you raised external capital? And if so, how much? Yeah. Uh, we have raised external capital. I think like when we started doing this, it, it wasn't our first time around. And I think we felt like we wanted to sort of uh, catch that window of opportunity that we saw. And we're not getting younger either. So, <laughs> so we wanted to move fast. Um, so we were quite open about it f- from early days. Uh, however, we haven't, yeah, maybe we have quite a broad cap table nowadays. So, mm-hmm. so we, we haven't sort of relied on one single investor or like a few. Yeah. Uh, we have quite a broad cap table where parting capital is now a VC and they are like a formal, but then we also have like family offices, uh, individuals, uh, etc. So quite a broad cap table. What's the position for you and, uh, you know, the co-founders or employees? Like how big of a stake do you guys have in the business? Uh, so it's been uh, roughly a, a third founders, roughly a third external investors and uh, roughly a third uh, parting so founders and, and employees. Okay. Thank you for that. I, Thomas, I think we're ready to dig into the U.S. adventure now. Yeah, so we, we talked a while ago about having you on the podcast, and then you were just about to move to the U.S., and we said, let's take it when you are sort of been there for a while, and we can follow up how it's been both from the business perspective and from the personal perspective, and now it's gone a year, so... Uh, Let's take a look at that. And, and first, why did you decide to take your business to the U.S.? Yeah, great question. Um, I think, you know, when we started the Unium, um, I would say almost immediately we, we, we decided that we wanted to grow an international company. Um, so I, I think it's been in our genes from the get-go uh, that we wanted to expand geographically. Um, and that, I think, also aligns quite well with our um, how we set up our ICP has been in uh, ideal customer profile has been in such a way that it's super, super niched and super, super narrow, right? So <laughs> you, you're sort of shrinking your market, right? And that's good from a tactical point of view. But of course, you also need a big enough market. And for us, it's been geography. Right. So, so given our super niched, uh, ICP and, and let's say maybe there are like, um, two, three, uh, 400 possible companies in Sweden. Uh, maybe there are like 10,000 in Europe or maybe 20,000 in the US. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, it's, it's, we're not talking hundreds 
hundreds or thousands or millions or right so so um and also think like the companies we want to support they typically operate in both europe and the us right okay so i think it makes a whole lot of sense for us to know and be present and be involved on each market and not only be sort of a european option i think there are a lot of american options uh, and and but we wanted to you know support the customers that we have and and typically they want to be international and we want to support that yeah. and i don't see how we can be good unless we are in all markets and that we do compete and you know that we do understand what it takes right so uh, that's been a reason cuz of course it's still quite early days i think you could read a number of books and conclude that you should uh, not do not go to the US uh, <laughs> but i guess you have to sort of stay with your i would say like inner compass and and your uh, you know your ideas and stay true to them and and try to you know expand on that so so that's what we're doing because that was my next question what made you think you were ready now uh, I, i i'm not sure we thought we were ready <laughs> and and i and, and and what i mean by that is i i don't think you will ever be ready right i think you know either you do it now or you do it later and it will still be you know a learning curve Uh, things to address etc um i think it could of course be done in very different ways and maybe we would be more like prepared from a structural perspective and you know bigger organization and all of that at the same time i think we would also be wanting to spend more money in doing the establishment so that would also be at a bigger scale so for us i think like we did this you know with eyes open that you know we think we have great product market fit we think we can do this we don't know everything let's let's find out and and you know learn yeah and the question is this an important step sort of if you want to take in future investments that they see that you have an ambition to go out and be a global player or a player in the US market as well or wasn't that a, a part of the the decision uh, maybe maybe we should ask someone else about but i think like <laughs> this i'm not sure i'm not sure the ambition is enough and i'm not sure like yeah sometimes i feel like it if you're successful in the US being a european company that is of course a great 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 thing when it comes to financing and investors yeah going to the US and and not be able to show that you are already successful mm. i'm not sure if that's only a positive uh, to investors maybe they see sort of a yeah a hole yeah <laughs> they can fill forever a black hole i don't yeah. know um um but but i think like you know uh, at least in the what we're doing um um we have a small or targeted niche icp and i think we come from a country that is so so small that you have quite a good sandbox yeah but you need to move outside of it and you have to sort of build your product your organization your processes and everything around it to support international companies 
I think that is a competitive edge for Nordic companies, and I think you should make use of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious because obviously you're one year in now into your own personal journey and the company's journey over there. Yeah. And we've seen over the years, many have tried, some have succeeded, some have unfortunately, you know, had to go back home almost empty-handed. Yeah. It's very unfortunate when it happens. So we wanted to learn a little bit from you one year in, what's some of the biggest lessons you've learned? Like, did it turn out as you expected? Was there anything that surprised you or, you know, caught you off guard a little bit? Almost embarrassing to say, but it's a vast, big stretch out country yeah. <laughs> that that you sort of know but maybe you you don't really get it until you, you're here because i think it's not only that it's big but also there is like more varieties of everything uh, i can feel that is of course like one of the reasons i be coming from a small country it's a bit more conformed i think there are a few options for everything and here it's just like so many options, mm. so many good individuals, so many good companies. And of course, it becomes a lot of noise and, and you know, um, and I, people have told me that and I've read it and I've heard it and I thought I understood it, but I don't think I really understood it. And what has that meant to you in, in practice, like the the optionality that, like you said, there are so many great companies, there are so many great talents, there are so many, say, tech companies that do something similar. Like, in practice, what has that meant to you and your business? Uh, I think we, we we have to keep sort of a David versus Goliath mentality very much like, okay, what can we do that works? And not, you know get blown away by you know not doing all those other things that we cannot do. I think like staying even more true to your uh, ideals or your ideal customer profile, how you do business, how you present yourself. I think be, be even more crisp on that, be even pointier. I think that's been a lesson. Um, um, and, and, and of course, you know, like perhaps simple things that you, you may have to speak a bit louder. You may have to, you know, talk better about yourself. You, you know, you have to compete on, on a bit more mm. on all stages, I think. Mm. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned the, the David and the Goliath exercise, because for most of us coming from Europe, taking a business to us, that's exactly how it is. Like in nine out of 10 cases, you will have a local American competitor that's been around longer, that is bigger in terms of you in, in base of revenue, marketing spend, reach, and all of those things. Like, how do you, what's your approach here? How do you take on that? Because it's so easy to feel like, holy smokes, they're spending money left and right here. We need to do the same. Otherwise, we can't keep up. Holy smokes, they're doing X, Y, Z. How do we keep up? Like, how do you come in as, you know, the the European little uh, company here, relatively speaking, fighting the big domestic giant? Yeah, I, I mean, of course, you're, you're lacking sort of trust and brand awareness and all those other good things that really <laughs> carries you, right? Uh, but I think it's like 
to a large extent, don't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. <laughs> don't play that game. Play another game. Find another game to play. I mean, it's like um, we want to find places where the density uh, of potential clients is high, right? I mean, yeah. we've been to your events. We've been to other events, you know. Uh, that's been a big thing because that's where our customers move around. And I think it's the same in the U.S. as well, right? I mean, you, you can find, I would say, like, the smaller the event, the better. Mm. <laughs> Whereas if you're a big fish, maybe you need, like, bigger events or you need to find bigger clients. You need to find more clients, you, you know. And I think that leaves a vacuum to 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 find smaller venues, smaller enter points and, and yeah. finding those and, and, and maybe, maybe not think too much about like making things scale and, you know, all, all the things that will come at a later stage, but like how to go from, you know, zero to one, how to go from one to two, how to, you know, mm. that's a different mindset than going from 100 to 200, yeah. right? So, so, um, but it's easy to get carried away and wanting to do the same things, but, but it's like uh, Google Ads, it's very much a money game, right? Right, yeah. It's difficult mm. to, to win money games <laughs> unless you have a big pile of money somewhere, right? Yeah. Uh, and do other things. But I think it's also like, um, I think we are uh, bring higher quality earlier in the processes with prospects. Okay. Right. They don't have to go through, you know, five lines of qualification, mm. which, you know, makes sense for bigger companies. And, you know, it's a model. It's, you know, how it should work, etc. But is that the right model for us? Yeah. Not really. We can do qualification then in one. We can be more agile. We can be quicker. We can, you know, let's move with that. Yeah. More access to people as well, I think. You know, you you, you have to work with what you have uh, and, and that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So more specifically then, if we look into like one year in, I know you've, you've hired some people. You've also had to let go of some people. Uh, you've landed some new customers there. So if we just take those two perspective, like how's it been for you as a newcomer in terms of hiring? Was there anything there in, in hiring and, and management of employees that was a big difference or that caught you by surprise in any way? And same thing with the customers, you know, landing the customers, dealing with the customers, anything that you feel is, is a, of significant difference compared to Europe. Starting with how many did you hire in the US? Uh, I mean, we are... Yeah, we're five in the U.S., so we've hired now one, two, three, four. Yeah, over this time. So, so, uh, and and then um, it's me and and another um, another colleague from from the Swedish organization as well. Um, and so we haven't gone on a like hiring spree, and and you know hope that you know someone else would fix everything. I, I think we've really tried to come together and work this out together uh, sort of bringing people and knowledge about the product and and such and the service from Europe and then local knowledge about you know uh, the mentality the culture 
how things are done right and melt them two together that's been but but at a at a reasonably uh efficient scale yeah so would you say uh like many others people say would you agree to the to the statement that hiring in the u.s you know in this case go to market or sales professionals for SaaS is a very different exercise compared to hiring in europe would you agree to that statement uh, yes yeah uh, some things i, I mean there there are i think there are more similarities than differences actually but 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 in the end i think you have uh, there are higher stakes in the us cuz like uh, skilled people are quite expensive and then you need to leverage and get more out of it as well where i think in general in europe it's a bit more condensed right or like you don't have the same differences so i think that is one thing i think uh be a whole lot more precise and clear on expectations uh in a very like direct and precise way is more important in the us um so so a few things like that on the other hand um and and also i think like in general i think <laughs> people are really skilled at uh talking about themselves here <laughs> just in general right uh and, and that's a skill set as well um so 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 I, I, yeah i i think sort of having the performance measurements and and sort of those what are the standards and adopting those is very crucial as well not only sort of the hiring and finding the right people yeah but knowing okay what how, how is it built and how is that modeled and how will it turn out good it's probably a slightly different exercise um, are you sitting together or is people working remote um very remote okay um uh i sometimes joke about it being the pandemic all over again of course it's <laughs> not the pandemic but but sort of that you spend a lot of time at home yeah. uh, and and maybe i wasn't <laughs> that's one of the things that i may not have thought so much about before coming here but you know we're, we're people in new york in philly in in chicago uh, so and there are some distances in between right so uh, and then we also work a lot with the european team uh, so you, then you have both the distance and the our hours of operation as well so uh, hybrid at its best very much remote so far yeah are you in b2b sales and tired of wrestling with your crm system feeling like it's more of a burden than support introducing membrane your sales enablement platform and crm where you can focus on driving results through effective behaviors sales enablement is not just about managing data it's about reinforcing the right behaviors with the right people at the right time so stop missing numbers instead drive revenue through proven prospecting best in class pipeline management and true account planning by visiting membrane.com i i'm also curious then about because you said in the beginning here that you learn in the us that you know the optionality forces you to compete a little bit tougher harder and now you also said that you know, you got to be able to, to speak about yourself in a, maybe a different way that we're not too used to, or don't have to maybe speak about ourselves like, like this in, in Europe. So like, have you experienced that selling to customers? And then once you've landed these customers, 
that the dialogue and the interaction is it different compared to a sales process in Europe? Uh, I, I I think it is, uh, um, and uh, if you would sort of generalize, I think a bit more fast paced and a, and a, you, it requires you to be a bit quicker and more uh, like uh, precise. I think. And I met I, I met another person. He said that you know because he was also selling an American, but selling both to U.S. and Europe. And he said um, in selling to Europeans, they are much more about like how will we achieve this, whereas in the U.S. it's very much about what will be achieved, and not so much the how. Yeah. And I think that is something that I've taken with me that sometimes I think in general, we've gone in a bit too much on like, this is how this is being done or this is, and I think there's a time for that, but I, you know, it's easy to do things you're used to and maybe start in the wrong order. I think you have to <laughs> have more of a headline. <laughs> Did you have to make any big changes? Like, have you uh, done significant changes to the product or, or to the pricing or anything like that so it lands better in the US? Um, it's still the same product. I think like at the core, we haven't made changes. No. So that's that's good. But like when it comes to ecosystem fit, because like no one really wants that standalone system anymore. They want it to be integrated and work together with their existing platforms right, right? Yeah. So, so i think that is something that we've worked a bit with and 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 once again like um like an example so we had a partner and a solution for u.s sales tax and it worked everyone was happy and then we realized but if companies already then have a solution for this and they have another solution they are not very keen on swapping right uh, so, so then we had to sort of, okay, instead of just having one solution, we need the optionality. Like, so now we've added different variants of that. So, so more on that level, um, I think so, so, but we've definitely done a bit of that. Um, I think, uh, we've also done adjustment to sort of ICPs and, you know, what is a comparable company in the US and in Europe not necessarily exactly the same parameters or the same sizing. Um, so, so maybe I'd call it more adjustments in that sense than changing anything drastically. Gotcha. Great. So, so Niklas, why Philadelphia? Oh, uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, the Swedes came here quite a few hundred years ago. I, I've actually, yeah, there's a museum here. Yeah. Uh, but then apparently, I don't know if I get the, all the storytelling right now, but apparently they owned some land and then they sold it to that pen guy, right? Oh, maybe. Yeah. But do you have relatives uh, like your grand, grand, grand something in Philadelphia or? Nothing, nothing. So, so uh, it was very much a business de decision uh, going to the US, right? And, yeah. and then you start looking at it and, and then we wanted East Coast because yeah. to have some sort of overlap with Europe uh, in terms of hours of operation. And then I've, I've got some experience in 
doing Manhattan, New York. Sounds very boring. Yeah, great for, you know, young <laughs> European people to go really difficult to recruit. Maybe it's a short sum up of that experience uh, and expensive. So, yeah. so, and Boston felt a bit overheated. Um, also had a bit of connections and network in Philadelphia from uh, our board as well. So, okay. so quite a few different things um, from the business perspective and then from a more Private, since I'm bringing my family as well, you know, like schooling is quite a big thing as well. And, and in this area where, where I'm at now, they have uh, great public schools, which made a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And as you say, you brought your family. So was this a hard decision family wise to, to move over to the US? Well, did you have to convince who should we invite to this? No. Uh, so we did a clip with your wife. We're going to edit it in later. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, no, but I, I, it definitely it, 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 it was difficult. I, I think everyone with kids can, you know, I, I think that makes a big, big difference. If it would have been just me and my wife, then, you know, let, let's go, let's try. Yeah. Because they, they are in an age where they have, you know, friends and school and, and so on. You don't really know, right? I mean, if there's something you don't really know about, that's the, your kids and how will they be affected? So that was a big decision. And, and you know, uh, but, but you know, and everyone keeps telling us like, oh, they will be so grateful. And, you know, oh, I remember, you know, when I went to school, this other, you know, kid, they got to go and I was so yeah. jealous of that. And, you know, and I think at some point, you know, it will be a great experience. Yeah. And... But that doesn't mean that every single day is a great experience, right? I <laughs> no, mean, there are a right. lot of like ups and downs. So, so, so was it tough in the beginning? I mean, yeah, they don't go in one of the Swedish schools if so, there is one. So sometimes, I mean, we talk about that sometimes. I mean, the kids have made the biggest change, right? I, I still work with, so I'm, I have my colleagues, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's the same company. I, I sort of know the domain. Yeah. Uh, on their end, it was like, okay, let's pack the bags, go on a flight, and then, you know, drop them off at a new school, you know, let them go and like, please now do everything, but do it in English. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is it the regular public school or is it some kind of special private internationally? No, nothing, no. just a public school. Uh, and and I, I have to say, I mean, it's like, uh, it's, a, it's a good or great school uh, or there are two schools actually yeah. but so i think that is of course good uh, i guess there are other schools as well but but there's nothing special so the, i mean they 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 do a normal curriculum and they do everything in english and they yeah so and is the contact with the school very different i mean do you have access to the teachers and and other other personnel at the school similar to what we have in sweden uh slightly different i would say there is definitely a lot more going on when it comes to like pto arrangements and events and things and fairs and yeah. a lot of that um you're also treated a bit more like a customer and that goes for a lot of things okay so i definitely think you get like very quick responses and 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 all of that um Maybe there's a downside to being a customer as well is that, you know, the customer is always right and you want to please the customer and all of that. So, yeah. um, 
I think, and and that coupled with also like maybe some cultural differences leads both me and Penilla to sometimes think like, did we really get that or not? <laughs> you know, so so I think that is also something that we're learning. But and, uh, and we don't talk enough about this. But you know, like one should not underestimate because you have one responsibility towards your business in your role as a CEO, and in this case, you're also one of the founders, obviously. But you have an equal and also maybe probably, I hope, greater responsibility towards your family. Yeah. And and this is like you, you're torn sometimes in between these because sometimes there's, you know, what might be great for one of them might not be so great for the other. No. And I think that, you know, many CEOs and founders are torn and distracted by this a little bit, but you got to find the balance. And like, it's one of those topics that always fascinates me, but we don't talk enough about it, how you find that balance. Because you, you can't just say, I'm going all in here now in Unium, whatever happens to the family happens. It doesn't work that no, way. No. Yeah, so, so I have a question here. What kind of support did you have? Did Was there someone, you know, that, uh, or an expert in how to move to the US that, um, that, that sort of, onboarded you or yeah but regarding balance i i, I think that um at least for us when when we got here um uh, it definitely took us just a few months to sort of you know get things in place and and it's quite a humbling experience because you, you i'm in my what is it like mid 40s so i feel like i've been a grown-up for quite some time now but all of a sudden, you don't have sort of, you don't have an ID. You don't have, you know, you, you're sort of 18 again. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to really quickly get everything in place, right? Because you have your responsibility um, for your family and everything like, okay, uh, get your ID, get your, you know, get a car, get a license, get a da, 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 insurance, etc. And, and Did you have anyone that helped you with this? Did you hire sort of an... A consultant that helps people move to the US, or what did that look like? Or I would say no, uh, <laughs> perhaps being too cheap. Um, but but I mean, there are other big businesses here as well, like big pharma companies. I have a feeling they 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 have a bit more support. Uh, we, we had help from a firm doing our visa applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found via network uh, a woman who helped us find a house. Okay. Half a year before. And that's pretty much it. And okay. then, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, apparently, Penilla said that I, I told her once that no, no, we will get help with everything. So I've, I've sort of been through this discussion a bit. And social security and uh, insurances. Uh, yes. And and you you learn a lot <laughs> about that as well. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so if you're doing this yourself, you know how to, how to call. Niklas has figured it out by yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. But was, was it something that, that sort of surprised you, either positive or negative, you know, during this year, would you say? Uh on a positive note, I think uh, it feels like sometimes when when you're in Sweden, Europe, you, you you say that Americans they don't have any vacation or anything like that. Yeah. But I think they are really much better at doing more with the time they have. Also, like weekdays, weekends, normal weeks, and, and a bit of a richer life in that, that sense. Um, 
definitely there are things that um, you get surprised by how sort of uh, not controlled things are coming from a very controlled country like Sweden, you know, with our <laughs> personal ID numbers that are used everywhere and you have your bank ID to do authentication everywhere, etc. So, so uh, that's led to some cursing, I would say. Um, but, but I, yeah, I, I think they, I think it's also very competitive. I think also that is shown like with family. Uh, and, I, and I think that's been for our kids as well to sort of getting used to people being much more competitive also from a younger age whether that's in like school or whether that's like people having private tutors on on Saturday mornings to get better at you know soccer or if it's just like a game of something uh, yeah. out on the field um, um, that's quite was quite surprising uh, to me at least yeah. and to them <laughs> more so how long will you stay? Good question. Uh, you haven't decided yet. No, and maybe that's sort of a thing that I could at least like feed back to people if they intend to go with family, like decide before going on like a term, uh, whether that will be it or not, but just decide on something and stick to it and just live with it. Uh, I think we've been a bit too open with that and sort of, one year at a time, uh, okay. which kind of causes you to be a bit in a in-between situation. <laughs> yeah. um, so so um, everything is set up to midsummer this year, and then uh, we are discussing it right now. <laughs> so I'll leave <laughs> okay. it for that, I think. <laughs> so... Uh... Uh, Nicholas, just to sum it up a little bit, you know, congratulations on a, on a fun and exciting journey so far. It sounds like the future is bright for you. Yeah. Like, if you would have three tips for anybody else that's going to embark on a similar journey, what would that be? Um, on the the personal side, I think decide on a timeline. Um, get help. <laughs> Uh, and and it doesn't have to be like you get help like someone's gonna do everything for you but in retrospect i feel a bit stupid that i didn't ask people because i'm not the first one going right right there are many people who've gone i mm. probably have asked everyone and picked up 100 things and then it would have been easier so, so i i think um that um i think that you know uh, and, and maybe it's not easy, but but uh, like the fact that the kids go to a public school, I think is quite rewarding for them, but also for us because mm -hmm. we get to meet people. Right. Uh, you know, the older you get, you, you you don't meet new friends every day the same you did when you were ten years old, right? So right. piggyback off that, I think. Um, uh, and and. Um, from a business perspective, um, I think it's like finding that balance between being quite humble and acknowledge that it will take some time so you don't have like overly optimistic timelines on when things will happen. 
which is quite difficult because you can't really say that, oh, we're going to go somewhere for a year and there will be no results. That's typically not a good idea either. So I think you need to sort of both be working with some realistic plan, but also like an aggressive, like, okay, we need to get things done. We need to move. We need to, you know, have that energy. So, so, so think about that thing, how to do that. I think, um, have a very clear idea on how to leverage your existing organization when setting up the new one without changing everything. Because you don't want like all meetings in the whole company to be in that two-hour time slot every day, right? right. That doesn't work. So you, you have to sort of do something a bit new, but you can't just do everything from scratch again. And and it, it sounds quite simple, but it's not that simple. It, 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 and I think like thinking a bit about how to do that. Um, um, and And... Yeah, maybe even more like all like collateral and, and sort of proof that makes you trustworthy in a new setting. Cause like every, <laughs> every single thing in that, in that scale will help you so much. I think like maximizing the efforts in like whether it's customer testimonials, partners or whatever. Yeah. Just like, yeah, everything. Okay. Good advice. Good advice. And I, I hope many people will take it to heart and, and run with this. So just again, to before we say bye-bye to each other, tell us a little bit, what's the future for your business here? Like if, if we meet in a year's time or two years time, well, where will you guys be at? Uh, I think we will be quite the same company, mm -hmm. I, I would say, but I think we definitely will be uh Bigger, I think we will have figured out all the ins and outs of the next generation of our uh, category. Um, and I think we will be an established uh, international brand. Okay. And is there anything you need in order to get there? Do you want to do a shout out to, to somebody that potentially can help you? A partner, a, a new employee or something like that? Maybe I don't want to do a shout out. I think like this year will be very much about making sure we have all in our own hands with own cash flow and, you know, our own growth. Um, but I do like think partnerships in all forms becomes more and more important. I, I think we will also, you know, uh, do fundraising over the coming years as well. It's just that I don't want to put a timeline on that uh, at <laughs> all uh you you just opened the floodgates all the investors l listening to this are just going to like chase you down now. but i, I to totally understand so now that you're on this exciting journey yourself is there a person that you feel like if you would get him or her on the show daniel and thomas i will be glued to the screen or at least i'd have the the headphones on me listening to this who would that person be or is there a topic you'd like us to address here uh, I would like, oh, there, there are so many <laughs> topics, but uh, a person that I, I would like to 
highlight is uh, it's also one of our customers uh, disclaimer on that but uh, Monsaide who is currently the CEO and former CFO of iBinder okay and I think he's been a very proactive force of change okay and, and I'm a bit curious like also of course in our domain but like the future of CFOs I think they are going from are they in danger to being or more, no <laughs> opposite I think you know I think as they are becoming more and more driven and you have more and more data driven and you want to make more and more use of commercial data and how to use that I think they're becoming more and more important and I think they are becoming more and more valued as well all right thank you for that it was a pleasure having you on the show much appreciated best of success to you take care now thanks for having me and see you soon at another event right there you go <laughs> absolutely we hope so we're <laughs> counting on it <laughs> all of us are coming to sassiest in april yes. the whole management team so um, you know meet you and all the others in the industry right there you go oh, that's amazing love to yeah. hear that all right take care nicola see you soon take care bye now yeah bye bye So Daniel, what's your takeaway from this episode? I love Nicholas. You know, he's like so humble, so nice. But if there's one thing I want to highlight is what he said when I asked him, sometimes you're up against, you know, domestic players that are much bigger than you. They have a reputation, they have lots of money and so on. And they do X, Y, Z and you feel like, holy smokes, I can't do X, Y, Z. And then his answer to that was, well, don't fall into that trap you're not gonna play the XYZ game with them because if you do, you're going to lose. You're gonna have to invent a new game. You're gonna have to create a different game and new playing rules because that's the only way you're going to be successful. And I thought it was very big of him to say that, you know, you gotta find your way of go-to-market, of positioning, of pricing or whatever it is and set the tone for that. So don't fall into their trap by trying to beat them in their own game because you're not. So you, you're going to have to somehow lure them into your game. That is your chance to win. So that was a very insightful of him to say it that way. Uh, and Nicholas, if I interpret it incorrectly, please call me. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about you, Thomas? What's your big takeaway? I have two. So on the business side, I think if you have a narrow ICP, and if you come out of the small markets here in the Nordics or the Benelux, you need to start thinking international very early. And you want to make sure also to be able to, you need to be sure that you dare take these steps and that you prepare your organization for that journey. But when you do that journey yourself, if you decide to move to the US, it's not wrong to take a little bit of help uh, and maybe uh, from others that has been there or, or someone else that can just make sure to set you up with everything practical you need so you can so you don't need to spend too much time and um, you know effort of getting everything in place but uh, really interesting to hear about Nicola's story let's see how long he will stay there uh, we hope he will be back at some time uh, you never know US can really grow on you uh, some people at least so talking about growing on we hope that the Sassiest community is growing on you. There's so many opportunities to interact. Uh, we have the Slack community that is free for everyone working within B2B SaaS here in Europe. 
We have the executive and the CEO networks uh, that are exclusive for, for people that fulfill those requirements. You can check it out at sassiest.com to see more about that. And then, of course, the events coming up. We have Sassiest 2024 in April, and then we have Sassiest Amsterdam 1st and 2nd of October. So with that, thank you for listening, and uh, see you soon again. Take care. Take care.